Support for Waveform comes from Anthropic. So looking for an AI solution for a business, it might be time to check out the Claude 3 family from Anthropic, your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. So whether you're powering a customer chat experience or doing complex R&D or need advanced analysis, Anthropic can help provide you with frontier intelligence. So if you're looking for speed, power, or anything in between, the Claude 3 family offers AI models for a variety of tasks and budgets. Join the thousands of enterprises who use Anthropic to navigate this new frontier. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E today. Jumpstart your genius with Claude 3 by Anthropic. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, welcome back to Waveform. We're your hosts. I'm Marquez. And I'm Andrew. And we've got a lot to talk about today because we've got a lot of catching up to do. And there's mm-hmm. just been a bunch of news and, and stuff happening that we've got our reactions to and, and a, maybe a couple hot takes. So there's there's some good stuff. Yeah. Uh, a lot of Google and Apple. That's a that's a big focus. I'm just going to start with Google I.O. because there's we had Google I.O. last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of AI and software announcements and a lot of Android stuff. And I want to go through each of like some of these bigger bullet points and get your reactions, maybe give my reactions to them. Yeah, I, I think uh, real quick before we do that, the reason we had our right to repair one last week is because we were in California interviewing Sundar. That's on the channel. So check that out. But I'm sure a lot of people were wondering our thoughts on IO. So sorry, we're a week late, but yeah, we're yeah, now. like IO happened. And usually I will cover IO in a video or just sort of make a wrap up or if mm-hmm. there's some interesting stuff, I'll, I'll do a video about it. But I didn't this year because as IO was happening, we were packing up all our stuff uh, to go interview Sundar, the CEO of Google and Alphabet in Mountain View. So we flew out there and, and mm-hmm. that was a whole a whole thing. So I didn't make a video about a lot of the stuff, but we'll talk about a lot of it. And you should watch that interview with Sundar. It's, it's just a fun like little behind the curtain of like the guy that has been running this stuff for the past couple of years and it's kind of cool. What smartphone do you have in your pocket and why? You know, it changes a lot. Uh, depends on the day of the week. Uh, probably not as many as you play around with. Yeah, and we found out that we were wondering if it was really live or not and it was. The oh, that was, was live. It was pretty cool them explaining. That was everything. one of the things. Yeah, we were wondering if IO was really live. Like they, they put the little live counter in the corner mm-hmm. and they just said it was live, but it was so like well-produced and well-cut that I could be convinced and it was quiet. And we were like, I don't know if there's any way for us to prove that this is not live, but one thing I've noticed is there hasn't been a single noise in Mm -hmm. the background. No helicopters, no airplanes flying overhead. They're shooting it outdoors. How is that possible? Um, Before we were interviewing, I just asked Sundar about it. I was like, was it? It was live, right? And he was like, yeah, yeah, it was nerve-wracking for me. It was definitely live. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how how were there no airplanes or noises overhead? And he said they literally got a permit 
<laughs> to like yeah. restrict the airspace over their campus during the couple hours that they were shooting. That. Wild. So where uh, do we get those permit? <laughs> if we got that permit, it would shut down all of Newark Airport. Yeah, I don't way think too that's close to yeah, a we're a little airport. too small, but uh, but that is uh, that's Google for you. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's get into stuff they talked about. Yeah, let's do it. So first up, a uh, couple maps enhancements. More bike lane stuff, obviously the sort of general improvements to, to Google Maps you expect. But one of them was eco-friendly routes. So now yeah. you can choose the fastest route or the route with no tolls or whatever other fast best route you want. This new one is eco-friendly route, which is cool. I don't know if I'm ever going to select that intentionally. Yeah. That was my, my first thought of the eco-friendly route is like I'm always glad anyone's doing anything that makes things more eco-friendly. But... I can't, I'm trying to think of like the number you would see on your Google Maps where you get, this will take 40 minutes and then the eco route takes 45 minutes. I think even five minutes, people are going to pick the just faster route. Yeah. Like it always sounds good to do eco. Like you feel good about yourself, but most of the times when you're driving, you just want to get there as fast as possible. And I don't know what what number people are going to not choose eco on. You know, it's funny. I use Waze now almost all the time for mm-hmm. any navigation. And Waze, even though Google owns Waze, Waze is a little bit more hyper, like, aggressive about saving you, like, 30 seconds to a minute <laughs> and a half. So, like, if there's even a, a, a sniff of traffic on your usual route, it'll go yeah. a bunch of back routes to get you, like, you know, around that one block of traffic. Yeah, yeah. And it's like fine sometimes, but I've noticed it gets a little bit crazy. So, I don't know if you use Waze, but I'm, I'm no. But I first of all, Waze the UI itself, I just like Google Maps feels way more clean. Waze is um, very ugly. Yeah, but Claire and I actually have this like little conspiracy that do you know when you're on Google Maps and if you're driving, it'll say like similar ETA or uh, usually is either similar ETA or it'll be like five minutes faster, or five minutes slower. Mm-hmm. We're convinced that the first any five minute difference they don't add because then you might be like wondering if you should click on the new route or not if it's just a one minute difference oh, yeah, and yeah. if like that is turning into a safety issue of like somebody trying to decide whether they should take this turn to save one minute I and believe it's so. so negligible yeah now yeah so Google will do that Waze will just take the Waze fastest will one. be like you better get off now or you're gonna yeah. lose 30 seconds it'll, and it'll actively reroute me I'll be <laughs> coming up to an exit and it'll be like now nah, you know what take this exit and it'll be like, I right. bet that's just gonna save Jer- me one Jersey minute. slide right now it'll do it and you know what I'm fine with that that's Waze for you um, okay, one of the interesting things I asked Sundar about was Project Lambda. Mm-hmm. So this is weird. They went on stage and they demonstrated uh, a little bit more. Every year they get a little better with understanding context and conversation with AI and assistant gets better as a result. Yeah. But they literally used information from the internet to create a character that you can then speak to and have a conversation with. So it's kind of like deep fake with, with audio and information. So basically, you yeah. go and they use Pluto and a paper airplane. Mm-hmm. So you could walk up, walk up. You could just go, hey, Project Lambda, let me talk to Pluto. And Pluto goes, I sense your excitement. Ask me anything. Tell me what I would see if I visited. You would get to see a massive canyon, some frozen icebergs, geysers, and some craters. It sounds beautiful. I assure you it is worth the trip. However, you need to bring your coat because it gets really cold. Pluto, what's it like being so far from the sun and Pluto goes oh I'm just an ice ball and it just it knows everything mm-hmm. about Pluto and that, it was really interesting to see that and the first place my brain went was like all right this reminds me of deep fakes what 
how far are they going to push this? How, what are you going to yeah. be doing with Project Lambda in the future? Am I going to be able to talk to Elvis? Because they know everything about Elvis. Can I ask about Elvis's controversial past and it'll give me an answer from something that Google knows about it's a Elvis. regular conversation everyone has like, with their friends yeah. I don't know and maybe there's living people you want to like have conversations mm-hmm. with even though you can't but then also it's going to give answers that that living person might not give so I don't know I felt like it was a it was a really as Sundar put it they gave the most benign examples yeah. which is like what's it like to be a paper airplane oh, I'm sure like a nine-year-old would want to have that conversation but Project Lambda to me immediately goes to like all right you yeah. can simulate a conversation with anything. What's it like being, I don't know, and some now, crazy person? He was very, very, he was very adamant about saying how it's still just research and it's yep. not like necessarily a final product. But like you said, I wonder what is going to be that final product. And and maybe we look back to something like, uh, what's the name of the like assistant that could make you a dinner reservation or? Oh, Google Assistant. It, it was, was just, it just a, assistant it was just or inside wasn't that? Of the assistant, it would let you like, it would call a restaurant for you and reserve a table if it couldn't do it through Open Table or or whatever other reservation. Did the would project call the have restaurant. like a name? Uh, duplex. There you go. Du- okay. Duplex, and they they've made adjustments to Duplex since then. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Sundar said it's just to make conversation better with assistant and also for better context of understanding things inside of the rest of the web. For example, if I mm-hmm. ask about and YouTube kind of does this, but if you search a tutorial on YouTube, like how to change the filter in your sink or something or your refrigerator youtube google will pull up a youtube video for you and then it will pull up uh, little brackets for a section inside the video that's most relevant to your search i've missed this completely it's really useful sometimes like i'll because you know how a tutorial will open with hi my name is please subscribe blah 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 and by the time you get to two and a half minutes you're like i didn't need to watch any of this mm-hmm. i just needed the thing so it'll tell you watch from a minute and a half to two minutes for the thing you searched for which is pretty useful already wait 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 when did they start doing this this was years ago for me i every time i search i look up a lot of tutorials and how to's and things like that and it and, auto plays in that bracket or does yep, it just yep you hit the play button and it starts right from the beginning of the bracket. So if you search for just the right thing, which is sort of a how-to, it will it'll I wonder, get really Do you think really that's ever that. affected any of your videos on like searching for iPhone 12 camera and like it would bring up your iPhone video and so then I just bracket the camera section? I don't think my videos are specific enough to that, but I wouldn't be surprised if something like Lambda would watch the video and be able to deliver that sort of information. Because I give chapters in my videos now, which I'm sure they yeah. can already look at, but I think this is something they could do better. Huh, so. is, I'm learning more from this than I yeah. uh, <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. That's, that was cool to see. I think it'll get better. Uh, so we'll just wonder what they're going to let us use and have conversations with. And hopefully it doesn't get too creepy. Yeah. I mean... There's a lot of creep potential on uh, I have accepted <laughs> that my deep fake ability is extremely high and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah, you've already had videos of you singing songs and stuff like that. And yeah. while we thoroughly enjoy them in the office, they are kind of weird. It just if you just think about like what types of people will be the, the easiest to deep fake. Uh, people who have a lot of high resolution videos of them, on, of them online, mm-hmm. like the president, because he's photographed and videoed from every angle, or people who voluntarily upload 8K videos of themselves yep, yep. from here to here didn't, uh, <laughs> on the internet. So. Didn't Dave do a video where he did you and Lou? Yeah, yeah. He deep faked himself as you and Lou from Unbox. I barely remember that. To find it. But just as deep fake technology gets better and better, 
they're just going to have more and more information to pull from. Like you have a decade of videos of the front of my face and high resolution audio of me talking, yep. saying like thousands and thousands of words. And this, this podcast is just even more of that. So yeah, yeah that's, uh, I've just accepted that, I think. All right, one Look more it. thing from, a couple more things from IO. Google and Samsung merging Wear OS and Tizen on a new smartwatch software Singular, experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's cool. It looked really good. Yeah. But there's no hardware yet. No. I really want to see the hardware. I think like the the main, one of the main questions I get asked by people who know I work here is like, is there going to be a new Google Watch? Like when are we getting a Google Watch? And, you know, this isn't necessarily a Google Watch, but we're seeing Samsung, who a lot of people really, really enjoy their watches and them coming together, which hopefully means something's coming in the future and it has potential as well they're saying it's gonna have improved battery life faster loading times for apps smoother animations it also makes developers lives way easier because now you just have one platform to develop on yep. between two of them that's important um and then there's also the other thing they mentioned was standalone google maps without the need of a cell phone mm -hmm. which is awesome and then spotify's got offline downloads for music so this like Sounds like really, really good things if you have use your watch for fitness and you're going for runs and you don't, you know, have your phone with you to stay connected to. But yeah, like you said, no hardware. I mean, Samsung's been doing great with hardware. I think there's some talk of maybe a new Google Watch, but when is there not talk of a new Google Watch coming out yeah, of nowhere? Yeah, but they've been rumbling for a while, and I feel like this is the year for them to do it, especially if Pixel happens the way we think Pixel's going to happen, which is they have their own silicon, and they're starting to vertically integrate True. more, and they launch a watch alongside it. Like That would all sort of make sense this year. I guess every year it doesn't happen. It makes even more sense for them to do yeah. it that year, but I'm just saying, I think this is a good year for that. Um I also, every time I review the Apple Watch, like to look on the other side of the fence and see if there's anything anywhere close. And Just I reviewed the OnePlus Watch lately, and it's not close. So seriously, yeah, I'm excited for this. Um, cameras being aware of different skin tones. This is this was I really was interested in this one. Yeah. So photography. How how far back do I go with this? How deep do I go? Photography in standard cameras is pretty straightforward. There's not a whole lot of computation happening. Mm -hmm. Smartphone cameras with computational photography make a lot of adjustments and smart decisions based on the data that the sensor gathers. So they'll take a bunch of exposures and do different, you know, merging of different areas based on the exposure. So yeah. highlights will use part of the exposure and shadows will come from a different shot and faces. And then they start to get even more like intense where they'll take like the, the frame where you're smiling where the background is empty because there's no lady walking blurred in the background. Mm -hmm. So they're starting to merge realities into one frame. Um, so the photos that come out of our smartphones are actually representative of the development that goes into them. And something we've always, at least I've always noticed, is a lot of smartphones have trouble, especially on the selfie camera, with darker skin tones, yep. especially when there's a lot of bright objects around. Mm -hmm. You'll just sort of become a shadow. Um, and so specifically on Google on stage, they they decided and announced that they would be uh, adjusting for darker skin tones and, and trying to make those more accurate, specifically because people with darker skin didn't feel correctly represented in their photos. And this is weird because it's just something I like accepted for a while. Mm -hmm. I was like, smartphone cameras are just going to do the best they can for the average skin tone, which is much lighter. And that's just the way it is. And if my skin tone's darker than that, I'm just going to look 
like not quite right in photos and that's just something I've just accepted. And so Google making that conscious adjustment and I yeah. hope to see it actually in action pretty soon is really cool. Yeah, I th a couple things I'm interested in is like one, how well it does when then there are multiple skin tones. Um, the, yep. I can only assume they're not doing this to just be like, recognize one person in the photo has darker skin and then adjust everything around it. I'm assuming they're just going to be able to adjust parts of photos in order to correctly, yeah, mm -hmm. expose everything. I'm really excited, especially if this comes out this year. My favorite video every year is the smartphone bracket. and The blind smartphone yep, camera test. Yep. Exactly. And one of the first shots we always do is a photo of you, and it's generally in a pretty well-lit, could consider bright space. Mm -hmm. And it's always the most wildly different because phones from all over the place just completely have their own a mind of their own in, in terms of how they're going to expose things. I mean, yeah, it gets to the point where I think iPhone last year or two years ago just like blew everything. Just That's like, where you see computational yeah. photography at work. It's like the iPhone has decided that it wants to turn a certain thing white or it needs to turn a certain thing neutral. And once it's decided that, the whole rest of the frame just sort of falls in step with that decision. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like a lot of the ones that were taking the best photos were just the ones not getting thrown off by too many different, you know, stimuli in the photo. So yeah, one of the earliest photos we always take is was one of the most telling. Mm -hmm. So yeah, maybe this uh, we'll see how it just it rolls does, out yeah. in a Google Photos update sometime soon. This is the, the other thing about I.O. is almost every single thing they announced on stage was like coming later this year. Coming early next year, coming in the upcoming months. Like we didn't really get dates for any of these things, which so, is a little worrying. Some of them you just feel like it's a you'll never see this again for the yeah. rest of your life. Like the um, we we keep referencing fence. Yeah. We, we keep referencing the chain link fence, which was a software Google Photos feature. Twenty seventeen, I think it was that. announced on stage and it had a big wow moment on stage, and then it just straight up. Never happened. Just never. I have ever. photos of chain link fences on my phone still. Saving them for when it comes out. Someday they'll get rid of the <laughs> fence, but it was announced and never happened. So I guess that's the nature of software, but that's uh, that's interesting to me to see what, yeah. how that goes. Um, another one. Do you want to talk about this one? I Google just, Photos animating. Before, before we get to Android 12, I just like threw this in. There's They had that like small section of like animated Google Photos where it would take your photos and, and pretty much animate them. And I just want to say it was really weird and it's, creepy and just to paint high. a picture it's another just like mm -hmm, blurring of reality is it is it taking like a live photo and kind of doing or is it yeah. doing the thing where it like you know you can take a singular photo and kind of like distort the perspective a little bit and it looks mm -hmm. like somebody's moving is that yeah so this is basically taking advantage of the fact that most people actually take a bunch of photos okay. of a single scene and that's kind of the way it goes. Like a bunch of people get in front of a wall and you just fire, 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 fire. And you take like eight, nine, ten photos and you only really need one of them. But Google's noticed people don't really use the rest. And if they look at all of those photos, there might be like a pattern of something. Someone flips their hair. Someone, you know, walks into the photo. Something yeah. cool happens. And then they'll just make an animation out of that. And they've kind of been doing that in Google Photos. I think I have a a video or a slideshow of Mac doing something because I take like <laughs> 12 photos of Mac trying to get him to look at a camera and then he looks at the camera and then you have this like 20 photo long sequence mm -hmm. of him not looking at the camera. Now I'm just going to have an automatic Google animation of Mac just looking at the camera <laughs> like that, which is a little creepy. It's going to be really funny when those ones like bug out and it's like five pictures, but the 
fifth one or like one in the middle is Mac like whipping his head to the wrong side yeah. and just like the animation is Mac turning his head and then it just like distorts like completely the wrong direction. Um, Man, yeah. That'll be, if that ever happens, it's just going to have a lot of meme potential, I feel like. True. And and some people are going to think it's really cool for and then show their friends once and never use it again. I think I want to chalk that in that that category. Seems likely. But one of the biggest parts that we were interested in is Android 12. Mm -hmm. We finally got our look at Android 12, which is not named after a suite again. It's just Android 12. It's the newest version. But it is, I think we can safely say, the biggest overhaul in the visual style and the look of Android since the beginning, which is really interesting. Um, There's also a bunch of new features added in. I just generally, I feel like we really haven't seen Android make big visual steps for a while. And every time I talk about this in videos, it's always like, all right, here's my top five new features of Android, you know, 10 dot whatever, 11 dot whatever. Keep in mind, it's very mature and there's not a whole lot to change here because yeah. <laughs> the earlier versions of Android would just go hollow and then, you know, material design and they would just change up all the time until they figured out their thing. So we've kind of been in a groove for a while. So this is a big change for Android. I think what we'll do is take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll bring David on. And David actually got to talk to Google about some of these changes they made and some of the new features. So we'll go over all that right in a minute. In soon time, shortly. Nice. Nice. Smooth. Yeah. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Support for Waveform comes from Coda. So it can be tough to stay organized when your team is spread across time zones. With Coda, you can help keep your whole team on the same page with an all-in-one collaborative workspace that brings together the best of documents, spreadsheets, and apps into one platform. That means less time ping-ponging between different tabs and tools and more time on your projects. So with Coda's extensive planning capabilities, you can stay aligned when managing planning cycles and while measuring objectives and key results. Plus, you can access hundreds of templates and get inspired by others in Coda's gallery. So over 50,000 teams across the world collaborate with Coda, from the New York Times to Square, uh, from Toast to TED and Uber. So if you want a platform that enables and empowers your team to collaborate effectively and focus on shared goals, you can get started with Coda today for free. You can head over to coda.io slash wave. So that's coda, C-O-D-A, io slash wave to get started for free coda.io forward slash wave so let's go ahead we actually have david sitting over here right off camera if you want to slide in here hello boys hello Hello. welcome to the welcome to the table i'm here i I don't know how you got here so have you been there the whole time i don't really know how i got here either i was actually in the studio and now suddenly i'm here it's a teleporting machine yeah i knew it yes all right david tell us about these conversations you had and what you find out. Because obviously Android 12 looks really different. I'm not yeah. sure if they have reasons why. Do they even talk about that or does it just happen? Yes, um, there are reasons why. There is so much to go over here. Okay. Um, real quick, I want to give people like, do you guys know like why material design existed in the first place? No. Uh, I feel like I have my, my general thought on it. 
which is it's material. It's supposed to feel like part of reality. Like right. if you almost like the skeuomorphic theory where, yeah, the, the materials that overlap in, in real life feel like the materials that overlap in a digital space mm-hmm. and it tactically makes sense to you. Right. Yeah. So like back in 2014 when they made material design, it was kind of supposed to be this guideline for developers to understand how to make digital interfaces that felt like materials, right? Because the definition of making something intuitive is that you already know how to use it. And if you already know how to use paper, so why shouldn't you know how to use a digital interface? So that's why if you look in like Google Keep or like any other Google app that uses a material kind of interface, it's all these like floating things that are over the top of each other and they have hamburger menus and they move over each other. But at this point, material design it's a little bit outdated um, just because, like you like you mentioned specifically, skeuomorphism, right? That was a thing that was very popular for a, a long time in kind of like building technological interfaces. But over time, we've kind of gotten to this point where like people are feeling a little bit disconnected from their technology, right? Uh, everything feels a little bit industrial. You look at our iMac Pros and our Mac Pros and like everything is just very like metal box, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. Um, so anyway, like you mentioned, I talked to uh, Liam Sprad- Spradlin, who is a design advocate at Google for material design. Uh, he's been working on the material design team for a long time. And I kind of talked to him about like, okay, what was the like motivation towards this move towards material you? What are you guys trying to really get out of it? And what like what should people be excited about for it? So right now, I'm going to play a little game with you guys if you're down. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play three clips um, that uh, from the conversation that I had with Liam, and there are going to be there's three pillars of Material U that they really made in order to like kind of be the foundations of what they want this to be. So we're going to play the clips, and then I want you guys to guess what these pillars are. Okay, three pillars. Does winner get anything? Uh, (laughs) I'll make a meme of you. Sweet. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to happen anyways. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. All right, Adam, if you can take that away. Sure. Um, I think, I mean, I think that happens constantly throughout the process. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a lot of stuff like that from uh, previous iterations of material as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think like something that comes to mind is doing explorations with a few folks of like what a, what one interface might look like across a range of scenarios and pushing for instance, like the layout of controls on a screen or like the placement or the size and like pushing those as far as you possibly can Mm. until it's like very obviously broken. (laughs) Yeah. And then like figuring out why it's very obviously broken and trying to bring it back to a place that's still like um, doing something new, but completely functional. Hmm. Are we guessing now what that theme is? Uh, yeah, let's guess now. Let's guess now. So based on everything he said, um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of words. Yeah. Uh, but what what do you think that theme was? It sounded just like responsiveness between uh, mobile and tablet and desktop, you know, having this understandable flow between different continuity, sizes, yeah, continuity. Like, so you said you said sizes. Sizes, sizes is, is one of the big pillars that I grabbed from this conversation. Okay. okay. Yeah. So we're going to play the next one. Okay. Something that I realized recently was something that Matias said in the presentation was this thing about like form follows feeling. 
And I had to like think about that for a while <laughs> and to like understand how that works with the system. And I, and I think like, you know, we're probably familiar with like the rhetorical device of form follows function or, you know, debating the relationship between form and function, like the form has to accommodate the function and is therefore always informed by the function. But then after you've formed it, the function can change. So, okay. Yeah, I know. I know it's a lot. Um, okay. It's a lot. Uh, what would you guys say this pillar is? Form. Function. F I mean, form, function was the word form, he said the most. Form shape. versus function. For, so form well, following function. Yeah, so for, form shape. Form right? over function. Yeah. <laughs> function of <laughs> Form. Function of X. Okay. Yes. Okay. Got it. Uh, so that one's sh that one's shape. Shapes. I know this is this is a yeah. I've I've tried to this, okay. this it's a mini game. Size. <laughs> we're playing we a mini sizes game. Sizes and shapes. All right. Okay. We got size, shape, and then there's one more that we're gonna play, and then we're gonna really dive into this. Sure. I think from a color perspective, color expression is something that we've always been trying to build on in material. And I think that like, as we approached this from the mindset of creating something that's adaptive and something that changes for every user, like that seemed like a huge potential, uh, component of that. Sure. So typically, um, when you're designing an experience, there are accessibility guidelines for the contrast that two colors should have against each other. And these guidelines change based on whether it's uh, like body size text or large text, or even if it's something like an icon or a decorative element or something like that. And what we found is that extracting colors and generating tonal palettes for them based on the hue values and um, yeah, based on the hue values was not consistent enough to allow us to get this universal approach to extracting colors from pretty much anything and applying that to UI. Um, but we did find that measuring the luminosity of that got us, got us to a place where we could reliably generate like how many ever tonal palettes it is and select certain spots within those palettes that would work together in an interface. I think I think like behind the scenes, when when the colors are being generated, there's dozens of colors. So it could be 40, 50, 60, because we're extracting like a certain type of color from the image, like the colors that are salient to the image, and then also ones that might be accents or secondary kind of um, a secondary level of saliency, I guess. And then from there, extrapolating those into each their own tonal palettes and then drawing from those in various ways so um their guess the color that, yeah. this one was, was the easier one this one was the easier so one smart uh, <laughs> yeah so okay that's a lot that's a lot yeah um that's a lot but based on our conversation these are the three pillars that i kind of pulled out about material you right we've got size shape and color as like the main reasons that google wanted to like the main things google wanted to bring to android mm -hmm. right so a big part of Android 12 is if you've seen it, uh, everything's big. Yeah, you know it's like huge, huge. Yeah, huge even. And and Liam told me that like you know the settings menu, the quick settings menu. The there's the clock on the front of the phone that when the display is off, massive, clock. massive. But it feels good, right? I would say it's the number one thing in our Discord that people were talking about when yeah. it got announced. Was like, oh everything is so big. I don't know how I yeah. feel about that. And it's very different. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very forward facing thing. Mm 
Um, and what Liam told me is that like they decided they wanted to kind of like mess with things until they broke and then understand why they were broken and then kind of pull it back. And so they were messing with size and they were like, this still feels fine. This still feels fine. Yeah, this is this is interesting to me because I saw that that is also we can probably talk more about color in a bit. But the number one thing I noticed was with the size of like the buttons and the spacing of how far apart things were is I always feel like there was this subtle, maybe it was even said before, this subtle mission to get rid of unnecessary empty space. And the more they had like blank white space in between buttons or in between text, the more it felt like things were wasted. So they wanted to like put an icon there or or tighten things up just a little bit so you could see more, get more information out of this big screen phone you have. And so this pretty radical flip of that switch to like, whatever, we don't need to maximize all this space. We want to give you big touch targets, big understandable information. And if you got to scroll, then you got to scroll mm -hmm. uh, is really fascinating. I wonder if it has to do with just the fact that our phones are bigger than they used to be and you don't need to maximize the amount of stuff on that screen. But also it doesn't look terrible. Yeah, so. I think it's a combination of things, right? Like there's that almost that aspect of uh, digital well-being where what we've always wanted to do with screens is just maximize information density, right? That's always been kind of the goal is just like, how do we get as much information on a screen as possible, especially on something that's in our pocket? It's like, for some reason, there's this, there's this like linear idea that the more information you have, the more productive you can be. But now we're kind of scaling these things back to like, what if we just want to focus on doing one thing, hmm. right? And so the quick settings menu is a good example. It's massive. Yep. You have six options instead of 20, mm -hmm. but you generally only need to use like one of those six anyway. Yeah, that is a good point. When I open quick settings, it's not because I'm here to go flip five different settings. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm here to swipe down and hit note of like airplane yep. mode and mm -hmm. leave. Mm -hmm. Or I'm here to swipe down and hit the flashlight button for like five seconds and turn it back off and leave. So having a huge, easily findable icon and touch point is theoretically better form and function yeah. than having nine of them clustered next to each other just for the sake of information density. Mm -hmm. So I guess I get that. Uh, the way you explained it kind of made, because as I'm looking at this, I'm thinking about how I generally set up my computer or my phone, and, and I'm the kind of person who drags everything to the smallest size possible. <laughs> and I think like my phone... The whole front of it's completely blank, basically, and just has a couple apps on it. Mm. And but when I look at the these new designs for Material U, I I like them mm -hmm. despite them being so big. And and the more I think about that, you you mentioning focusing on something, I think the reason I dislike having my whole page filled with apps on my phone or maybe big icons on my desktop is like it's too much, it's too cluttered. There's too many things that are distracting. And and when I make things very small, I can almost ignore it. Right. If I only have four icons on my phone, I'm focused on those things. Yeah. Those are what I want. So and like Marquez said, has. like he said, like when you bring down quick settings, you only are generally yeah, gonna do I'm one thing. Shooting for something. If you on your home screen you only have four apps, maybe those are the four apps you generally use anyway. Mm -hmm. Did you ever have a phase where you you have you had like no no icons on your home screen at oh, all? Yeah. I had a You mean my life right now? <laughs> do you currently are you a zero app person Where, right now? Yeah. I was I had this I okay. I'm gonna just describe this. I don't know if I can find a video where I did this because I don't even know if it's on my own channel, but I had a, a setup on my phone where it was just a clock, right? And there were 
obviously you could swipe up and you knew that certain gestures would like do certain things like open the app drawer so I could get to apps. But then I went so far as like mapping certain blank widgets to do different things. Oh, so really? I would touch the clock, it would open the clock. Oh, I would touch yeah. the top corner because I knew that would open the weather. Yeah. And I didn't want to have to see it. <laughs> yeah, it would just be blank, but yeah. I would just go up there to the weather or yeah. I could like swipe over and get to my contacts. So yeah, I had that that set up for a while and it was real it felt really good. It was really clean and minimal. Mm. And then I think I got a new phone and I was like, this whole setup was uh, a little over the top. And then I just went back to just putting icons it's on like the It's like a screen. chore yeah. to keep things clean. I, I like I feel like every time I set up a new computer, I hope I'm not the only one that does this, but like <laughs> completely blank. Yeah. Desktop completely blank. Yeah. And then you slowly just start saving things mm. in there and then it gets really messy and you're like Okay, and then you make a folder called desktop, and then you drag <laughs> oh, everything random. into that. So I only have one one icon there, and uh, then six months later, yeah, messy new new desktop, and drag all of that, including the old desktop yeah. folder, oh, into that, and it just spirals out of control. Yeah, I haven't done I haven't done the desktop everything folder, but I do consciously decide. Time to clean this up, yeah, and yeah. I will delete a bunch of stuff yeah. and make it cleaner. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, like real quick. It's funny, like you mentioned, like uh, making your home screen as basic as possible, and then like adding complexity to systems in order to like quick launch something with three taps of a button or like hitting a space on the, you know, just like yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's it's this weird obsession that we have, and so if that's the case, if we're gonna be doing that, why not just make things bigger because then it looks cleaner. It does look cleaner. And you still have the same functionality. So I don't want to spend too much time on shape or on size, um, but I think that's a big thing. And then also Material U is supposed to be kind of a universal, um, a universal design language that works across devices. So across tablets, phones, watch, all that stuff? Uh, Watch, yeah. I mean, um, but the, the Nest Hub, obviously. Okay. If you look at Nest Hub right now, it almost has a material U-ish look. Yeah, um, a lot of big, a lot of big lines. icons, yeah. and and it's the same idea of like when you walk up to the Nest Hub. Generally, you're going to be using Google Assistant with your voice, but like just big things so you can see it across the room. You can turn a light on. You can do this. A light switch is a big thing on the wall, yeah. right? It's not like it's this little tiny thing you gotta poke at. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's just this way to like, just kind of like stretch things to the biggest they Mm -hmm. can make them. And if they feel uncomfortable, scale it back. But surprisingly people are okay with things feeling big. Yeah. Um, anyway, so second pillar shape shapes. This is one that I find really interesting. I feel like shapes are very subjective. Yeah. You just, you either like it or you don't. Yep. Yeah. That's just me. Yeah. 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 No, but, but, uh, you had mentioned earlier the skeuomorphism, right? Yep. So when Google made material design, um, design has kind of always been about like keeping similar, you know, design is basically, if you have a design language, it means that everything should kind of fit into that language. Everything should feel cohesive. And the easiest way to do that is to make things skeuomorphic. So if you look at like widgets in um, old Android before they redesigned the widgets, they're like rectangles with some more rectangles inside. They're super basic. Squared off. I remember the leather notebook days of like you'd open the notebook app and it would just be like a leather yeah. notebook on the top and you could write on the lines uh-huh. of the paper. Yeah. 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 Sometimes. So like this obsession with skeuomorphism, but this is another thing that kind of I think plays into the like our tech no longer like it doesn't feel human. It feels industrial. Right. And 
we, you know, especially in the last year with like the pandemic and everything, everyone's started to feel like very disconnected from their tech. They feel like it's almost creating like a negative headspace for them. Mm -hmm. And like a good way to like make tech feel more natural to you is to try to make it feel more human. And what are humans? We're really freaking messy. We are not perfect. We have stuff on the floor in our rooms, you know, the our desks or whatever. So like if you look at um, the new widgets, for example, that Google is adding to MaterialU, I think is one of the coolest updates because they are taking this skeuomorphic idea and they are just throwing it in the, the garbage can. <laughs> like, Basically, yeah. Completely. If you look at some of these animations, Andrew's got on his yeah. computer here, um, the clock, uh, the home screen clock widget that they added is, I think, one of my favorite things. It looks really it's nice. It's like... <laughs> yeah, okay, like, Marcus did say uh, shape is, uh, you know, it's got a little IKEA subjective. feel to it. I feel like <laughs> this is definitely no? something is that's gonna. That? No, it's I'm gonna. Ha- oh, it's gonna take me some time to get used. I to I feel this, like Brandon you know? would be big into this. I'm. This feels I'm, very Brandon. I'm big, big into it. I like in. If you think of like this is like the form follows function follows feeling thing that they were talking about that Matthias was talking about. Mm-hmm. So like obviously okay if you have a f- you need a function you say i need a clock the form of the clock the most basic form of making a clock is making it a circle mm-hmm. right because that is literally how you need you need a circle so that you can measure things against degrees but uh, the form of a circle is not super human it's very skeuomorphic so then if you say okay let's take that form and kind of add a human element into it this is the kind of perfect yeah. example of that, of like adding kind of this weird sun shape. Yeah. Marquez looks like he has some opinions it almost on almost like a toy, <laughs> like a snow. It's, I, so, okay, the, the, part you, the point you made earlier about uh, tech being more industrial, uh, I, I actually really like the clean, minimal hardware aesthetic. Robot. Like when you You're look a robot. at... No, I mean, like, you look at, maybe it's just because it's a, a work thing, but, like, this desk being perfectly rectangular or being very thin, I refused to get a certain standing desk, even though it was probably just as good, because the front of it was, like, this sloping curve that you would, like, be in the curve, oh. and it would curve around you, and it's this human natural shape. I was like, nah, just give me a rectangle. I think, mm-hmm. wait, was that mm-hmm. one of those gaming desks? No, it was, like, an up oh, desk okay. or something. And, like, the Pro Display XDR being this perfect rectangle with, like, the solid straight back edges... Like, I just, I like my UI and my interface to be a certain level of clean. Mm-hmm. And so this Android 12 <laughs> aesthetic definitely deviates from the typical yeah. clean aesthetic that I'm used to. It is still pretty flat. Here's a question clean. for you, though. Yeah. Here's a question for you, though. Uh-huh. Like, clean could work for anybody, right? Mm-hmm. But... Weird shapes that you get to like dictate yourself and decide like maybe I want this oval, maybe I want this to be a star, maybe I want this to be this. Would you say that that you know adds a level of like personal touch to it? I mean, yeah, I totally get what you mean because I also like love the way the Pro Display XDR looks, and I do like industrial looking things. Uh-huh. Um, but for things that we use like every single day, like our smartphone, like I'm of the opinion that like adding as much personal touch to that as possible. And I think that's why people customize their home screen so much. I agree. I just do all of that personal touch with color. Okay. And so I really like the color part, which we're about to get into. Yes. But I would much rather have 
a bunch of rectangles with the exact same radius and let me change the colors of each of the things mm -hmm. so I can identify function yeah. rather than just squiggling all sorts of random yeah. different radii and shapes in there. Yeah. Okay, before we get to color, I do want to say that um, they did mention that like while the shapes are weird and kind of like feel sort of random, they quirky. still they're quirky. Uh, they still do follow design principles. So like, they, I would call they, this super clean. It's just uh, yeah, a it's quirkier like it's clean. Yeah, it's that it's that in between of stretching to something to where it almost feels uncomfortable, but then still using like the same radii, the same you know that clock widget has the same curve. But it's not the same radii. That's the thing. Like it's flat what but not it? clean. Like the, I'm just looking at this. Uh, are, these, are we looking at different? Yeah, yeah that's exactly this, what I'm looking at. So like these icons, circles. This weather widget, not quite a circle. This circle widget, also squiggly, not the. So these are all yeah, fundamentally different shapes and different radii. This is a a different radii. You're rectangle. saying like everything on the entire screen should be okay. So you're saying the cohesiveness between all the different widgets. I'm yeah. I think you have the ability to do that if you want, though. Okay. Right. So that's kind of the they're they're just introducing a lot of different things, and and yeah. also like the widgets, they're adding so much functionality. We just thank God, like Android widgets have been, they haven't been updated for so the long. The stock Google ones. Yeah, the stock because the third party I mean. ones. I always yeah. go straight to the third party mm -hmm. ones, and there's tons. So I'm I'm happy to see Google yeah. update theirs. But I think Google was very pressured by Apple because now that Apple added widgets, and they're mm. actually pretty good. Um, How about that? Yeah, right. How about Apple <laughs> How about that? doing widgets? I know. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they added a lot of the cool things to the widgets, like. Like there's so many different elements they added, like these radio boxes and just like you can do so many crazy things. And Google is trying to update. We'll see if it actually happens. They're trying to update the widgets for all of their core apps and kind of use them as examples of the different things that you can do now with all the new widget APIs they're adding, which yeah. is cool. So, OK, nice. That's good. Last one. And I think the one that probably sticks out like oh, the yeah. most, if not the second most to people is color. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I think. The core fundamental part of Android 12 that I think is going to make it feel very personal is this new color palette thing that the system is building for you. And if you think about it, your wallpaper is like the first thing that you do to personalize your phone and the most personal thing that you do to personalize your phone, right? Mm -hmm. Almost every single person has a different wallpaper. Change and your wallpaper, change yeah. your life. That's exactly. I'm I saw all, your tweet the other day. I was, exactly. If you think about it, like we were just talking before about minimalism on desktops and stuff, and that's probably because all of us really enjoy the wallpaper that we're posting on that and mm -hmm. want less mm -hmm. clutter taking yeah. over that wallpaper. Yeah. Yeah. So so what Google is doing here is they're basically they they derived this algorithm that takes the like base colors from your wallpaper and then it derives a palette from that. Yeah. So it's like we're looking at your wallpaper finding what the color palette is of that wallpaper mm -hmm. and then making your system theme that color palette. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah. Would love to see it work on different images and wallpapers. Like I want to take a picture of the studio and see what it decides the right. color palette is. Super interesting to me. So I like this. something really cool about it too is they were messing with this, right? They wanted to make this universal algorithm that could work for any photo. And at first, they were like, okay, when we're developing this algorithm that creates this palette, like, how do we decide, like, what colors are based on the palette? Like, okay, you can take, like, a color that's almost exactly the same as the primary color in the wallpaper. You can take a uh, complementary color because it pops against it. And they're still, they're still doing that, but they don't want to just have, like, two colors for the theme, right? And by the way, this um, 
color palette gets applied to your entire system theme, which yeah. is awesome. Mm-hmm. And you can change it. You can change it manually, but it's like an automatic thing. So your quick settings will change color. Yeah. Like uh, that clock on the front will change mm-hmm. color. So the cool thing is that they're taking like a complementary color, like something like orange if you have a blue wallpaper, and that will be sort of an accent. But the way that they're creating like the main color palette is they're using luminosity. So instead of changing hues, because hues, if you were to like, that's physically shifting the color, right? That doesn't always work universally across like every single image. Right. But changing the luminosity of a color, just making something brighter or something darker automatically adds contrast. Mm -hmm. So that's something that ended up working for the, and they, they were stretching this like forever. They finally came across this luminosity thing. If you look at this animation of like, showing the clock on the front of the display and you think like how do they always make sure that the clock looks good on this yeah, photo yeah, it's got a contrast because it takes the primary color and then it adds a little bit of luminosity okay. so if you add if you add brightness or darkness to a color it it adds contrast naturally which is 100%. really cool yeah so it matches but you can still read it without it getting lost in exactly yeah it's really smart and it just like applies it to the system theme and i think this this idea of like making your device feel more personal to you, color is such a good way to do that because your wallpaper is like the first and most important personal touch that you can add. Yeah. yeah. Can I ask a personal question? <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, what? You know, it was that kind of podcast. <laughs> Two-part like. question. How often do you change your wallpaper? I wanted to ask this also. And what is your wallpaper? Is it an abstract? Is it a photo of a thing or a person? I knew this or... was going to come out eventually today. I'm just, I'm curious. I have I have a bunch of like hard rules for my own wallpapers. Um, I change my wallpaper maybe once every three months on yeah. my phone, something like that. Yeah. And it is always abstract yeah. it is always abstract it's never a photo okay. i've always found those too busy and too contrasty too. interesting and i always like to roast my sister for having <laughs> in the past she's had a photo of herself as her <laughs> wallpaper and i like roasting her for that cuz i think you should just not do that <laughs> yeah. but i'm curious what you guys do um yeah okay so obviously when i was reviewing a new phone every single week i changed my wallpaper every time i would set up a new phone right. um just because you know people in the comment sections always want to know what your wallpaper is mm-hmm. and it's like yeah. just fun i tend to use like photos that i find on uh, on reddit uh, the analog the film photography subreddit mm-hmm. and then also photos that some of my friends take that are great photographers so photos so photos so okay. like right now i am using this photo um from my friend Brian, who just took this, I don't know, you probably can't see it on the camera. That. We can screenshot it. We, yeah, we, yeah, I could take a screen recording, but it's like, it's just a photo of like a desert. And now on an iPhone, well, since I, all the icons can, have to be at the top I half, do you think about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I freaking hate it. It's okay. part of my I, reason I can't do iPhone. I can't. <laughs> I really, really, really hate iOS a lot. <laughs> That's like, one of the biggest problems with wallpapers in iOS is 90% of photos well, so don't work because the most important part it. of the photo is at the top behind all your icons. Yeah. So if you do a photo of a person, their face is somewhere in the icons. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Uh, yeah. So you do something else. There's also one that I found that specifically adds a blur to the oh. image. So it's not just a straight photo, but you import it into this app, adds like a slight blur. You can adjust so it. So just it makes it a little more. Make that your wallpaper. Flat. Then the icons pop a little bit. It's right. a little more flat and it looks like more of a render, but yeah. it's still your photo. Yeah. That could be cool. Yeah. What was your. Let's yeah, do it wait, 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 for audio listeners. Let's just. We'll have one other person describe the other person's. Uh, oh, well, yeah. I'll, that's I'll fun. describe okay. David's okay. here. Okay. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, I'm going to go lock screen first because that's the cleanest on iPhone. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. So 
desert foreground with a lot of really cool lines coming towards you at the camera and then in the background some mountains and you have a skyline and a moon the moon so I, like really cool moon. the moon is important to me because you can uh in between the icons it, yeah, it fits in between the icons it. so you oh, can cool. still see it yeah, yeah. Um, but, it, but uh, what i, I really like it about, pretty frequently what i like so. about the front or the Love lock screen is months. the when the time comes up, it's perfectly like on the horizon yeah. and looks really clean. Then again, my issue with iPhone is once you go into the icons, I know, you it lose looks so bad. everything. You, it looks it's so still bad. nice that you still get these lines on the bottom and the yeah. sand coming at you. But yeah, then it, I, it goes it to ruins icons the whole on photo. The top okay, and all those notifications too. All right, I will describe Marquez's. This is I've used this one for a while. Which which okay. Mac OS wallpaper is this? Uh, this is a, or iOS? I don't I, even know. I think it was Mac iOS. OS on your I think that was. Plus. Mm -hmm. That was Mac OS right, right before the current one. Yeah, I think it's a big Sur wallpaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Great wallpaper to me yeah. because it separates my highs and lows. It's abstract, so yeah. it's not too crazy. Yeah. Here's my lock screen. Got my time up there in the blue. Mm, Easy. Mm -hmm. Got the the red, which matches the red. Yeah. Uh, it's just a bunch of stripes. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. I think you've actually become quite known for the style of wallpapers. Yeah, too. colorful hard line very contrasty lines and then yeah yeah but um, i'm i'm totally cool with like adding a blur to this or having something like sort of clean right. and like simple yeah because as soon as i start going like a photo there'll be like a tree in it that's like too busy and then the icon over the tree doesn't quite overlap the tree yeah. the right way yeah. and it's just all off and <laughs> can i, can't I do say it. That, to... that google search bar drives me insane it does a little bit i've got the I tiny google search bar it. i, I want to search by hitting the g which doesn't bring up the search thing, so I would have to have a bigger search bar. I need it to, to actually hit the search thing to open yeah. the keyboard straight away. So that does annoy me sometimes, but I do like keeping it. Yeah, not a fan of that. Okay, I'm going to describe Andrew's wallpaper, okay. Go and uh, I think this is hilarious because I use this as my Windows 10 desktop wallpaper. Is that for a like Firewatch four wallpaper? Four years. Is it? It's like Firewatch style. It's I don't yeah. know if Firewatch it's style. This one and the one that has the deer in it are like yeah the. I, that might actually I be the one with the deer. Show. It's just because it might be, but it's closer, cut off. Because I think my desktop at home has the same. So one. you know what's funny about this? This is almost a combination between like the extreme cleanness and colorfulness of Marquez's, and then a little bit more detail that like is in mine. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, it frames the time. It frames nicely. the time very well. Yeah, the time could be like the moon. That. Does it bother you that you can't get rid of the Google widget at the very top? Or do you use do you that date and weather? I actually really like how it looks there, to be honest. It's like nice white contrast on the darker sky. And then, yeah. I mean, weather right there. I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, um, a little off topic. Wait, wait. But, wanna, oh. Guess how long I've had this wallpaper for? Because oh, I'm very got, different. You've you had the that phone, for a while. Since you got the phone. At least I've had this since I got my Pixel 3. And I just transferred it. Same wallpaper. Yeah. I have attempted to change it. And I look at it. Once after, I'm like, oh, this is really nice. I set it all up, and then I like turn my phone on, and I'm like, whose phone is this? <laughs> yeah. And then I just change. No, it exactly. Like, change your wallpaper, change your life. It, that's yeah. exact, exactly exactly because I I change my wallpaper so infrequently that like it feels so good when I change my wallpaper. Yeah. I feel like I got a new phone basically yeah. for yeah. one image. I don't even change the layout that it's much, crazy. but when I do change my wallpaper, it changes the whole mood of when I use the phone. Yeah. If, I, if I'll do like a darker, like simpler wallpaper, I'll be like, it's all business. Like my screen on time is getting cut in half. Like, I'm not using my phone today. Yeah, those people that just have the black OLED wallpapers yeah, and nothing else. Uh, one of my friends is like that. He's a maximalist and he just has icons everywhere and he just uses a black OLED wallpaper. No, not and I'm just like, holy. Oh, oh look at Adam oh, right Adam, now. Adam. Oh, I'd pass oh, out. Um, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then something I want to bring up too is like what I think is kind of cool about Material U is that 
if you look at Google's product stack, right, they've kind of always, they developed a hardware look over the last few years. And it started with the original Google Home. Looks like an air freshener, sits in your uh, in your kitchen. It's white, so it blends into that white wall, kind of like the iMac, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the bezel. And they kind of developed this, like, friendly. They use a lot of materials, um, like these fibers. The mesh. Mesh fibers that are kind of like these bright, cheery colors. And they developed this, like, hardware design look. But the software design didn't really connect with that it didn't really like you know mm-hmm. it was very different it was just kind of like android on top of that but now because luminosity like when you when you bring up luminosity and you bring down luminosity it skews towards palette uh pastels mm-hmm. and there's a lot of pastel in android 12 and a lot of the materials and fibers that they use in a lot of google's hardware are pastel you look at the new google tv Pink pastel, yeah, blue yeah. pastel. You mm-hmm. look at their the Nest hubs. They the fibers they used are pastel colors. This is Apple's color scheme too. They've I got all the these IMAC, pastels. Yeah. IMAX, right. iPads, this laptop, all these like yeah, you know, light green, light red. And so. I, I think that might be just be a, a design trend in right now. Yeah, I think you so. know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of cool that Google is finally starting to feel like their software is becoming more cohesive with the hardware it lives on. And that's something that, like, obviously Apple has done really well for a long time. They kind of developed that. But Google's have kind of always had this, like, separate hardware team, separate software team. But now it's it's feeling more cohesive. And then if you want to really look into the future, it's like they're doing Whitechapel now. So, like, to me, it looks like they have this master plan. And I know I'm probably, like, just projecting here. But, like, it feels like they have this master plan where they really want to create an ecosystem of products that feels cohesive because traditionally they've just made a ton of random stuff that sort of works together sometimes, mm-hmm. but now everything is kind of like merging. So it feels like they're moving towards kind of the Apple direction. Yeah. But either way, I think uh, just kind of wrap up the Material U stuff. I think that Material U is like, like you said, one of the biggest changes they've made in a very long time. Oh, yeah. I think that they're going to stick with this design for a while. Um, because they haven't really changed anything significantly since, like, after they got off Hollow. Right. You know, they moved yeah. off Hollow. They, Hollow was a fun time. It was. Remember, do you it remember the Tron, like the Tron look of like yeah. that tablet, the Zoom? Yeah, <laughs> that was that was peak like yeah. Hollow. Yeah, yeah, just like the light, the light blue against black. Yeah, mm-hmm. Tron days. It was yeah. it was great. So, yeah, no, I mean, um, I think I think that's about it for Material U. But I personally, I'm a big fan. Uh, I think we'll have to see how it plays out once we actually get this. And I should note also, the Material U that we see that we're talking about right now specifically is tailored to Pixel 6 um, or to Pixel, right? Okay. So when, so just like Material Design was like a guideline to show developers how they could make their apps feel more natural, feel more like intuitive on devices. Material U is also sort of like that. Obviously, the widgets um, mm-hmm. are going to feel very Material U all the time, but the stuff like the universal color palette across Android, like that's something that you have to add in as like as an API. So, like whether or not these um, OEMs decide to yeah, implement yeah. a lot of this stuff is very up to them. It would be cool if we saw it more, but you know that if you get a Pixel, you're going to get this. So. And I'm also I'm really curious to see how the third party apps and widgets update and will they fall in line with this sort of squiggly right. quirky look? We'll uh-huh. see. Because uh-huh. I like my rectangular widgets right now. 
Um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a perfect cool. segue because we're going to talk a little more about Mac OS, or we're going to talk more about M1 Mac and M1 iPad, which also have a little bit of a different visual. So mm -hmm. we'll be right back. Support for this episode of Waveform comes from Gigabyte. There's a lot of talk out there about how AI is revolutionizing our world. Computers are writing newsletters, robotic bees are pollinating flowers, and a whole new wave of driverless taxis are popping up in cities all over the world. But how can AI power our passions and what we do for fun? That's where Gigabyte's AI gaming laptops come in. So their range of powerful and portable new laptops deliver cutting edge performance for anyone looking to explore the brave new world of AI powered gaming. So every 2024 Aorus machine comes equipped with the Gigabyte AI Nexus, which is like a central hub located with all the AI powered features you could hope for. So that includes super useful tools like AI power gear, which automatically throttles and extends your computer's battery life, depending on your power source and usage. You'll also get access to AI boost, which optimizes performance based on what you're doing in that moment, whether you're ripping through an FPS or running your own large language model. AI Boost automatically adjusts the GPU and processors to maximize responsiveness and deliver unparalleled efficiency. Lastly, AI Generator includes various generative AI apps for quick startup, and all 2024 Gigabyte models seamlessly integrate with tools like OpenAI and Microsoft's Copilot AI chatbot. But the Aorus 16X and the Gigabyte G6X take it to the next level with a dedicated Copilot key, allowing users to swiftly tap into productivity and generative AI capabilities. I also keep hearing AI is gonna change a lot in the gaming world. Andrew, can you think of anything about that? Not just optimization, like you said, but like more personal optimization I could see happening where like maybe you're playing a competitive game like Valorant and you want higher FPS and lower resolution, like you're okay versus like The Witcher where you might want 4K crispy resolution and like a lower frame rate. I think finding that between your computer specs and what you want might help out a lot. Nice. So all of the models that I've been talking about are available right now at oris.com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. So that's A-O-R-U-S dot com slash laptops slash gigabyte dash AI. Gigabyte, team up, fight on. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so uh, M1 iMac. We clearly, I gave it a glowing review when it first was announced. I, I love the design style. White bezels are my absolute favorite. <clears throat> um, <laughs> but you, <laughs> I have lightened up to it a little bit. I'll I'll admit it okay. looks good in some scenarios. It is not for me, but you're really amped to talk about it. So that, I'll let you take this one. You know that is the key word here. It is not for us. No, I exactly. think that is that is such a such an underrated thing when we talk about products. Is like these are hyper not hyper targeted, but a lot of these generalist seeming products are really for a certain demographic that does not include us. It's funny because the demographic is probably more general, but it's hyper focused on the general demographic. Right. Does that it's make like sense? When you watch like a, a children's video on YouTube, you're like, how does anyone watch this? This is not this isn't it's not mm -hmm. funny. It's not entertaining. But for the very large audience that it's for, it's great. Um even for music, I feel like that's another anyway. So for this computer, the M1 iMac, um 
it is, as Apple would probably describe it, a, a very basic, general, really capable and versatile all-in-one desktop computer. Yeah. Uh, part of it, which is the part we're talking about the most, is the design because basically, when you, when it comes down to it, it's the M1 again, just in a new dress, just in a new package. So we've talked about the M1 MacBook Pro, the M1 MacBook Air is the same chip, M1 Mac Mini is the same chip, and we'll talk about the M1 iPad in a minute. Mm. But ultimately, it's uh, this same computer with a 24-inch 4.5K display and uh, whatever design they wanted to make. So the design they chose was. An 11 and a half millimeter thin sliver of a metal desktop with a nice big chin, white bezels, and a not height adjustable stand. But the whole thing is like 10 pounds. So it's actually like. It's great. I moved it. First of all, moving the old iMacs, despite how small they were, sucked because of how it it like went down into a point. It was actually sharp to like move <laughs> those around. And they, yeah. they weighed a good amount. I mean, it's a lot of computer in there for how small yeah. it is. But. I just moved this one out of the, oh, because we had to return our review unit. Mm -hmm. It's pretty crazy. It like really feels like you're just carrying a really big laptop yeah. with a weird stand coming it's out. It's funny. Of it. I actually think the, I didn't say this in the video, but I should have. I think the, the pads at the bottom aren't sticky enough because I feel like I bump the computer and it just, poof, just slides <laughs> over and it's just too easy to slide. Just like slide. that thing is, it's very light. Um, our two most controversial observations about this iMac were the chin and the white bezel. Yeah. Uh, the white bezel, I feel like I at least understand. Yes. I fully get what they're going for, which is, okay, this is going to be a nice, friendly-looking computer. It has a, a nice pastel look on the front, which is different from the dark color on the back. But if you're putting this in a room like a living room or a dining room or a kitchen or a bedroom or a random home office or something like that, Eight times out of ten, it's a white wall behind it, and it turns out that's typically the best way to look like not an industrial box, mm -hmm. but like a nice, friendly, usable computer. Yeah, a piece of the house rather than a piece of tech. Yeah. Exactly. So it's the same reason why the new Nest has white bezels. It's the same reason why the new, Google, the new Nest Home Hub with the screen with the Google Assistant has white bezels. It's just because it's just a little more friendly looking. I think that'll probably be the case for a while. Um... I would still, again, I'm not in the target demographic for this, so no. I would still prefer a dark bezel, but I am not getting this iMac for my house, so it doesn't matter what I think. It's not for me. The chin, on the other hand. Um, have you seen the iFixit teardown I'm, of this? Oh, I have it open right okay. now. It's really funny. Uh, it's great. So the chin. So the iMac is sort of, a, sort of a legend for that chin. It's had that design of a screen at the top and a bit of a chin at the bottom since I guess since the original iMac, honestly, where it had the speakers underneath. Um, yeah. Every single one has had some sort of a chin, including this new one. And if you look at the iFixit teardown, um, most of the computer is in that chin. And then most of behind the display is kind of empty, empty actually. Yeah. Uh, which leads me to believe, well, they intentionally kept the chin. They wanted the chin there. They could have definitely, definitely made it thicker and not had a chin, and they made a choice to make it super thin and keep the chin. I'm That's... trying to find a way to argue with that, but it's really hard. Because like literally the this, this is... teardown is like, it just looks like a bunch of ram sticks glued on into onto the oh, back of a bit, screen. It's, it's extremely well integrated. Yeah. yeah the it... whole thing is at the bottom. It's like the uh, the M1 is there. All, there's no upgradable. You're not popping RAM in and out or anything. Like yeah. The speakers are all down there. Almost everything's in the bottom. Uh, the question is, should they have? 
And in my I mean, video, I say I suggest like people buying this who already have a thicker computer would have been totally fine with a 20 millimeter thick computer with no chin. And that would have looked way better and mm -hmm. way less like a piece of tech than this new like uh, extra chin on the bottom of the white bezel that now sticks out a little bit. You still have the, the pastel color of the stand it sits on. That's nice, friendly color, and that's cool and everything. Yeah, but I just I I, I wonder don't know. if that is it. If it's that pop of color, like to add in there to be a little more friendly, because you could almost argue looking at this the teardown. Like if you look at the wiring that's going up to the the webcam and a couple other components, you you could argue that it being in the chin means more wires or longer wires to get to the places that the different things are trying to get to. So it it doesn't make much sense. I would prefer no chin as well, but. Yeah, my guess is looking for that that colorful, friendly. I'm almost calling it like a piece of furniture decoration at this point. That that's functional, yeah. and but you're right, there is still the stand. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's wild though to see how little is in this. Like this oh, looks like it could, this looks like a, a like Chromebook or something. It's, it's, it's literally just about the same computer as the M1 Mac Mini, which obviously is much smaller mm -hmm. and has more ports actually. Um, but they just take those insides and put it in a much larger display and then it's attached to it and it's, it's a really nice display. And if you watch the review, by the way, I, I want to give it as much credit as I can. Like the amount of display and computer you get for the money in that iMac is great. It's the most underrated thing about when people complain about how expensive iMacs are is how good of a screen you're getting and no one ever takes that into consideration when comparing it to building a PC. Yeah. So that's a, it's a really important, like well integrated thing it's also so thin that the headphone jack couldn't be on the back so they put it on the side uh but it's got two or four ports on the back depending on which version you get if you get the base model two ports and uh, no ethernet no right? ethernet just two thunderbolt ports if you upgrade to the 1499 one i believe that's when you're getting two more so you get four ports on the back and ethernet on the power I brick still think ethernet on the power brick is genius and just a really really good idea it's a good idea. I think it's it. easy to to get mad at it, but I I think it's a good idea because no one ever unplugs Ethernet once you plug it in. Why would you get mad at it? I just don't. I think people think it's an excuse of like, oh, Apple didn't add it to the back where everything else could have gone. I've seen weird arguments for it. I'm, a, I don't believe excuse? those arguments. It's a. The, I think it's a good oh, idea. Oh, Apple's helping me with my cable management. <laughs> oh, those jerks. Yeah, I, so I don't know. Unless, a, unless there's a. a data transfer restriction that it's bottlenecking because of the new nope. the power cord it's not right it's, nope uh, yeah full-on gigabit so good good on that it's just funny that this is the first apple desktop in many many years with external power brick because they've all had power built in it's just too yeah. thin i don't mind that the more i think about it though yeah it's fine it's just sits on the ground the as long as you can find a good place to put it it's a if you're one of those psychos that has a desk in the middle of your room that's not up against a, a wall maybe it looks a little weird um but yeah. other than that, totally yeah. fine. It works for me. But uh, if I were to get one for my own home, I probably would go with blue or silver. Probably blue or silver. Uh, also, shout out to Super Staff, who did a really great Photoshop job of a matte black version. Looks really good. It was a great Photoshop job. We were all staring at it in the studio. Like, did Debating he get if the D-brand skin or yeah. did he just make this look really good? He did Photoshop that. Did you um, confirm with him? Yeah. Well, okay. he, he did a breakdown on his Oh, Instagram he did a breakdown? Did All right. I think the way we found out is the little tiny reflection on the table you could tell was silver. Yeah. 
Um, my question is now, okay, we've got all the M1 stuff out the way. Great. M1 Macs, M1 Baseline stuff, M1 iPad, M1 iMac. Is the upgraded Pro version of an Apple Silicon iMac Pro going to get rid of the chin? And will it have black bezels? I, I don't think so. Yes, no, no and yes is my answer to those No questions. to the chin, yes to the black bezels. Still has chin, yes has black bezels. Interesting. I I think so much of the Pro stuff in Apple's lineup is boxy and square when you look at Pro Display XDR, when you look at I'm iPad Pro. Mm -hmm. I think if Apple is considering matching that Pro aesthetic with a new iMac Pro, they should get rid of the chin on the iMac Pro and make a Pro Display XDR shaped box. But I I guess I could see them keeping the chin. I, I guess I would just argue is like the chin doesn't make it any less boxy. It's still extremely boxy and the aspect ratio is a bit is different, obviously. Like well, the screen aspect ratio is the same. The footprint aspect ratio is different, but it's yeah. still boxy. I just think Space Gray seems to be who is I think it was David saying how like it seems to be their lower range things generally are more colorful if you look at like yeah. iPhone XR yep. and even some other iMacs and stuff like that. And then Space Gray is the Pro version. Yeah. So I could definitely see Space Gray black bezels, Pro industrial like professional looking. That's what Apple. If you're that'd be my guess. If you're listening, the pros don't care about how thin it is. I promise, none of us care. That, about how thin that's it a is. good point. The thinness as well, but I, yeah. I bet they keep the chin just because it's a, the continuity between the two. So when they're when they're putting them in like a store, mm -hmm. somebody's not looking like, oh, this is so vastly different. I'm probably losing so much power versus Pro and that's the bottom or something like that. Is the iMac Pro sitting in stores next to the iMac? I don't know. As an upsell? I'm just kind of guessing. I, I yeah, would kind of assume so. I wonder. I, I don't think a lot of people are buying iMac Pros that don't need them. It's discontinued already, which leads me to believe most people weren't buying it. Mm. But I, I feel like if you can make a good visual argument for why this iMac is different other than just being black, then it gives people a reason to feel like they're getting more. And so sure, yeah, I my think, argument goes the opposite way against okay. it as well. You're yeah. Right. Yeah. I just I think obviously I would want them to do it a certain way. I'm just curious what Apple's deciding motive will be. Do they want the continuity or do they want the upsell look? If the know. pro was an pro display XDR that just happened to have the computer in the back of that, that would be sick. That would be amazing. That would be awesome. That would be <laughs> I would really like that. Um, but we'll have to see. We'll have to see. But there's a lot of great rumors about just like way more power way more gpu cores way more big high power cores and like obviously that we'll have to see when it happens maybe it's m2 maybe it's m1x we'll see m1x seems happens. to be the favorite so far so far but uh i'm very interested in that but we also got m1 ipad pro this to me is a incredible spec bump but it's still an iPad. And I feel like every review said this, okay. basically, which is like... I'm going to be honest. You were like really excited to talk about this. And I was like, I really thought we just decided it was... No, we... Was, I mean, okay. so I, I did the review. And um, you should watch the review. It's 15 minutes long. It's it's like everything you need to know about this. I'm just... I would love to know what we're going to get at WWDC that's going to change the iPad. That's really what I am curious about now. We're going to see in like a month. But M1 iPad Pro is We're going to see in like two weeks. Yeah, it's like a By first the time week of this June. Comes out, yeah, yeah. M1 iPad Pro though, currently it's I, iPad OS 14, so we've we've had the same software for a bit, but it is just immensely powerful and super impressive for what that chip did. 
I, I mentioned in the beginning of the video, I didn't think it would be this much better than A15 Bionic yeah. or whatever it was already, A12Z. Um, and it's way better. <laughs> it benchmarks higher than the 16-inch MacBook Pro. And, you know, at a certain point, it's like, what are you going to do with all that extra power? You're still using iPad OS. You're still limited by the ports and the file management situation and the multi-window ability, kind of. And I, I, I can't wait for a little bit extra power. One comment I've seen a lot is, why do you guys keep asking for, like, Mac OS on the iPad? Like, just get a Mac. Mm-hmm. That's not what I want. I don't want Mac OS on the iPad. I just want better iPad OS. It's a difference. <laughs> I want. I like the icons. I like the widgets. Let us put widgets all over the screen. Give us free multi-window with touch support. Mm-hmm. I'm not asking for that on the Mac. I don't want a Mac that does that. I'm personally not in that camp. Um, and then just the ability to do a little bit more multitasking. And obviously the pencil is incredible already. And that chip dominates iPad OS. It's great. So that's all I'm saying is the, the, the M1 iPad Pro with the new with that chip and the performance you get out of it is way more powerful than anything you are able to take advantage of. There's no apps mm-hmm. yet out there that are, you know, every visually intensive game that I tried was already fine and is still fine on the new one. Uh, honestly, the biggest difference you'll notice is the new XDR display, which is only on the larger 12.9-inch iPad Pro. Um, I am personally a smaller 11-inch iPad Pro user, Mm-hmm. And so I will continue to use my 2018 11-inch iPad Pro. I think Pro a lot of people have that, yeah. Because it's just as good. It's still 120 hertz display, and it's not getting the XDR update, which looks phenomenal with HDR content, but it's not on the small one, so don't need it yet. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So you're just saying the iPad, this new iPad basically is just like way, way too powerful for, for what it is. that You can't like fully grasp or benefit from it yeah it's like that if you were uh if you were in charge of like there's maybe three different things you can improve about the ipad you can way improve the specs you can way improve the software or you can way improve like the design they've improved the specs and performance so much that it's ahead of the other pieces of the ipad yeah (laughs) and you you don't really get to enjoy all the benefits of the m1 because nothing gets there yet. So, so if you get a new iPad from last year, you're going to get the same experience. You're saying it's like it's so powerful and something you almost like if you had a pickup truck that could go zero to 60 in like 4.5 seconds. Something like that. It'd be like if you had a car that could go zero to 60. But you needed a pickup truck. I was trying to segue. You were segueing in F-150. <laughs> I, I like the... <laughs> Finish the segue. I like the segue. Go for it. Finish that one. Because that was... I don't want to anymore. Are there any pickup trucks that do 0, 60, and 4.5? Or are you just hypothetically making one up? I'm so sad right now. Are we leaving this part in? No, there is is a pickup truck that goes 0, 60, and 4.5. And we're trying to get our hands on it. It's made by Ford. F-150 Lightning. It's official. Yeah, yeah. We finally got... I mean, we talked about it before... We just got some specs. Let's go over specs really quick. Because sure. I, I, still, I think this is, I think we've both talked about this. I think this is, you've said this is going to be the most important EV of this year. Mm-hmm. I think this is the most important EV since Model 3. Is I would I, agree with that Right? Too. Like the Model Y was great crossover, very popular. But like Model 3 was like the first EV that really brought it to like a more general consumer. So I consider that extremely important. This bringing it, we're now getting something that's going to bring this to a whole new group of consumers. And I think that that's why this is insanely, insanely important. Yeah, um, I just I just want to add one more yeah. thing to what you said is like, 
EVs for years and years were different in a way where like you had yeah. Nissan Leaf and you had like sports cars like the the Roadster and so anytime anyone made or considered an electric car it was such a vast departure from what people were used to that they almost just didn't even worry about it yep now EVs are a better version of the car you already were thinking about getting yeah and that's where they need to be that's why this is important for this pickup truck especially exactly so the specs on the f-150 lightning so starting price actually i'll just start with that 39.9 really good that is nuts i i saw a lot of comparisons to that price to base ford one or f-150s and it's a completely unfair comparison because the base f-150 is a two-door and the base lightning is the super crew which is what ford calls their four-door so if you look at the cheapest super crew F-150, it starts at 36. So okay. we're talking about a, a 3K price difference between and that is of these. And that is before the tax credit that you are still That's, qualified yeah, like, for. Even if you throw that out the door, like, I mean, we haven't really seen any one-to-one comparisons of EVs to a specific gas car, but like, that is very, very close. Yeah. Like, I think almost anybody while buying a car would probably be okay with the 3K price difference. Now, that's going to be the base model, which gets 230 miles of range. And there's also going to be an upgraded model that gets 300 miles of range. And mm-hmm. I think that's about 50. Um, and if we're just going to compare that spec right off the bat, we've got Cybertruck coming in anywhere from 35 to 70K. Yeah, there there is a higher... I think there's one version you can get that goes all the way to like 90K. So I think yeah. just like the F-150, there's going to be multiple trim levels of this. Yep. Um, there's, a, there's a Hummer truck that's going to be over 100K. There's a Rivian R1T that's going to be like 60, 70, 80K. Mm-hmm. So this is a great starting price for F-150 Lightning. So now here's the other specs. And, I, and I, we're going down the spec sheet, not just to read a spec sheet, but because specs are important to truck buyers. That's a specific yeah, important yeah. thing towing capacity, hauling capacity, the things it's capable of. Specs actually really matter here. So I'm not even going to talk about design. It looks like a normal F-150. But 0 to 60 in 4.5 seconds, honestly, who cares? But <laughs> but there is uh, there's something about having one gear where you don't have 10 different speeds in an electric in a, in a gas motor to go through. So if I just explain this, I watched a really good video on this. I'm going to try to condense it, but I'm also linking the show notes so you Mm -hmm. guys can watch the whole thing. But basically what's happening is when you're hauling a bunch of stuff, you need as much torque as you possibly can get so that you're effectively pulling it. Um, And gas engines have their peak torque at certain RPMs. So let's say that's 4,000 RPM, just as an example. That means if you're way below 4,000 RPM or way above 4,000 RPM, you're not quite getting peak effectiveness out of that motor, your torque band, yeah, yeah. exactly. Your torque band is pretty narrow. So when you shift gears, you are trying to stay in that ideal torque band. Mm-hmm. So the way they got around this was like the F-150 now is a 10 speed. Yeah. So every time you shift gears, you're trying to stay in that ideal torque band for maximum efficiency as you shift gears over and over and over again. Big trucks have like 21 gears. This is so they can keep in their ideal torque band. Electric motors have a massive instantaneously available torque band, which is from zero RPM. So that right away, even though like the zero to 60 doesn't really matter for a pickup truck, the number you should care about is torque, which is, I think I might've written it down, but it's something like 735 pound feet of torque. And it's available at that peak torque number all the time. 
as you're driving it instead of only in that small bit of your individual gears. That's the spec that matters for hauling. That's good for efficiency. That's just good for driving while hauling. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. 775 pound feet of torque. There you go. Just wanted to confirm that. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then the other one is you can max out at 10,000 pounds of towing capacity, mm-hmm. which I think is higher than the other maximum F-150 that's the other was thing able I would, There's to. a couple different, the standard rate version, 5,000 or 7,700, and then the max is 10,000. I don't know what regular is, but I highly doubt it is more than that. Yeah, so 10,000 pounds of towing capacity is also awesome. Then there's just a couple other cool things that they're doing with the fact that it's electric. So again, you just have that. It's already a better truck. Now, because there is no engine in the front, there is a massive, I think it's the biggest front trunk I've ever seen in any EV. Uh, You can fit two golf bags in the front trunk of an F-150. You were watching that video and you're like, he has a whole golf bag in there. And then later in the video, he pulls it out and there's there's still another another one in there. So yeah, (laughs) it's like, that's amazing. So it's a huge front trunk. That's great for pickup truck uh, people because as they rightly point out, typically pickup trucks don't have covered storage unless you have a cover for your bed. So if you want a covered locked trunk in your pickup truck, instead of throwing it in the back seat, you now have a real trunk. Yeah, it's in the front. Um, you also still have the bed. They have a bunch of outlets. I think it's six outlets in the front. You've yeah. got a 240 volt for like an air compressor. You can charge things, power, huge power tools from the front or the back. All this is awesome. And then the cherry on top is you can get a power inverter for your house. It's optional. Yeah. Um, that will allow your truck's battery to be your house backup battery in case of power outage for up to like a couple days, maybe yeah. a week. I think the the guy in that video said that in order for his Tesla Powerwall to equal what the truck would have done, he would have had two of them. Right. The max output of a, a single Powerwall isn't as much as the F-150 is able to output. Wild. So, Which is also just great, not for that, but like you said, uh, you're on a construction site and you're working on a house that doesn't have electricity. Like, without having to run a gas generator in the back of the truck or on the ground. That's what you're saying. This truck is, yeah. Yeah. You now have a massive portable electric generator in the form of your truck. Yeah. The one thing I'm curious about is Ford hasn't given a number to anyone that I've seen yet for the size of the battery, kilowatt hour size. Um, Just for context, like Model 3 or Model Model S right now has a 100 kilowatt hour battery. Mm Mm-hmm. That's about like industry standard type. I think Maki is at like 80 kilowatt hours. Porsche Taycan's at like 93 kilowatt hours. We're somewhere around 100. A truck like that with enough space, I would actually expect to be more, maybe yeah. 100 to 150, but we don't have a number. No. And I'm very curious about a lot of the little variables about when you're hauling with that much battery, how much does your range suffer? They've already got a, an onboard scale in the back of the truck, so it'll adjust how much your uh, projected ranges and tell you where to charge yeah. based on how much range you'll get with what you're hauling. But like, is that minus 50 miles? Is it minus 100? I don't really know. I haven't hauled stuff, <laughs> 10,000 pounds of stuff in my car, so I don't know. Um, what will charging be like with the couple of built-in? There's a Ford Pass app that will show you, you know, the Electrify America charges and all the charges you're capable of charging at. But what does that look like when you pull up to a charger with a trailer? I don't that actually is something. So, like, I think the main thing this will not benefit is people who are, like, hauling long distances. Like, yeah. this would make no sense to get. And I think yeah. one of those main reasons is the majority of chargers on the road, you would have to. Although, I do think the charging port's on the front of this. It is. It's the so front that... logo by the front door, right? Yes. So, I guess you could pull forward. But, like, I'm just thinking of some of the chargers around us. 
you would be blocking parking mm-hmm. lot if you had your trailer still connected. So like not only does charging take longer than gassing up, you're now disconnecting your trailer potentially. And then, yeah, that doesn't sound ideal. Yeah. But I do think the majority of people, and I mean, we live in New Jersey, the densest populated state in all of America. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'm just completely naive here. But like, I do think if you have the 300 mile range uh, version, if you're doing construction generally in a day, I don't think you're driving more than 300 miles. Whether now you're pulling power from tools or you're pulling power, uh, losing range from towing, maybe that would start getting it. But I still think huge benefit is every morning you're starting with the quote unquote full tank. Whereas when I used to do landscaping and we were towing stuff, we filled every day. And, And we were definitely not driving 300 miles. It's just super inefficient and you're just filling all the time. Yeah, it's one of those stats where I think, weirdly, it could actually benefit from uh, Ford not being efficient in the drivetrain. Meaning, if this is a 100 kilowatt hour battery, for example, and you're like powering a bunch of tools and plugging a bunch of things in, and then trying to get home on less range while towing stuff, that might be a concern. Where if this is a 150 kilowatt hour battery, then all of those tools and things you're plugging in might not hit your range as significantly as mm. far as a percentage. Okay. Just just something to keep in mind. I don't know. This is where I was just thinking like if you're comparing it to the others, the Cybertruck is still the one where I'm like, all right, if you're really after the specs and the numbers, the, the Cybertruck with 520 miles of range and I think even more towing capacity is probably still on the radar. Um, but other than that, F-150 Lightning is, I'm I'm excited for it. And I think by the time you guys see this podcast, there may already be a video on the channel of a hands-on with it because we're trying to trying to work that out. So that's yeah. that's planned, and that is, uh, I think, a pretty important EV to keep an eye on. Yeah, Keeping an eye on it for both the, the consumer buyer who buys trucks, but also the reason the F-150 is the most popular vehicle in America is there's also lots of fleets of business, businesses who will be looking at buying this, saving money on cost per mile, and uh, just glad to see that actually worked out. They got, they got the specs, I think, pretty yeah, well. Yeah, I do. Sick. All right. Well, that was a whole lot of waveform. I think you've probably either skipped around or heard enough, but thanks for sticking with us. And we'll be back next week with, of course, much more to talk about. Catch you guys in the next one. Waveform is produced by Adam Molina. We are partnered with Studio 71, and our intro outro music was created by Cameron Barlow.